eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Greetings. Welcome to the NASCAR on NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. This is a special episode because it's the most accomplished driver we've had in our brief history. It's Tony Stewart, who, of course, is a three-time Sprint Cup champion, an IndyCar champion, a USAC Triple Crown champion, and a winner of 49 Sprint Cup races from 1999 to this season, including his beloved Brickyard 400 twice. Smoke certainly is accomplished, but we didn't spend much time talking about his on-track achievements. You'll hear much about the 400 acres he lives on near his hometown of Columbus, Indiana. You'll hear much about why he knew the moment was right to retire from NASCAR after this season. You'll hear some of what he has planned for next season and beyond. And you'll hear a question about Indianapolis Motor Speedway that I've always wanted to ask Tony. And there's much, much more. I think you'll enjoy this discussion, which we taped on August 3rd, the week of the Watkins Glen event. As always, we appreciate you listening. If you're hearing us via iTunes, please leave a rating or review, or please subscribe or have your friends subscribe. It really helps us out. There are many other options for finding us. Audio Boom, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. We generally have episodes every Wednesday. If you are subscribed on iTunes or elsewhere, you won't miss an episode. And a brief programming note that with the Olympics in full swing, There's no NASCAR America this week, but NBC Sports still will have coverage this weekend from Bristol Motor Speedway. Thursday's Xfinity Series practices are on the NBC Sports app for live streaming. Friday's Sprint Cup practices and qualifying, and the Xfinity pre-race and race are on the USA Network. And Saturday's Sprint Cup pre-race and race coverage are on NBCSN. And a reminder that all of our NASCAR coverage always is available for streaming via the NBC Sports app. You can download that to your tablet or smartphone or watch on your laptop. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Tony Stewart. Thanks for being here, Smoke. I'm glad to be here, man. I want to start with the really important stuff. We had Rico Abreu on this podcast a few weeks ago, and he talked about, for those who don't know, he's currently living at your place. He, he part-time lives at my place. I mean, he, <laughs> When he's not gallivanting around the country running yeah. sprint car races a <laughs> yeah. hundred times a year. I mean, Indiana's a, well, two reasons. I mean, he he lives with me because the midget team that he drives for in Indiana is in Columbus also with Keith Coons. And 
he was just him and his guys were staying in a hotel in town. I'm like, are you, are you crazy? I said, you're an idiot. Just you and your guys can come stay at my place. I'm never there. Right. And stay there as much as you want. So, uh, plus in Southern Indiana, we have a problem with some guys around our area that think it's really cool to go and cut off catalytic converters off of people's vehicles while they're in parking lots. So, uh, <laughs> their truck got hit a couple times. That's I said, ridiculous. that way you can park your rig over closer to my house and in a gated area and you don't have to worry about getting stuff cut off your car well that's all well and good i'm glad to hear that yeah. you're giving them refuge from yeah exactly converter vandals i didn't know that you had that problem in southern yeah. oh yeah we we there everywhere has that problems we're finding out they uh people people will work hard to do illegal they will work harder to do illegal stuff to make money versus just going and getting a legitimate job to make money <laughs> damn shame so Rico mentioned that you, you, he was there when you cleaned out this store full of fireworks, which I think led to the Periscope fireworks shows that we got. So the first question I had, of course, is when is the next Periscope fireworks show? Because clearly there's more supply left that needs to be Oh, yeah, we, we have plenty of uh, the fireworks war. We have plenty of ammunition left. <laughs> the actual show stuff, we uh, have to go pick up more, but we have a... Uh, we now have an inside connection to get it, so uh, it's just a matter of getting home to, to restock. Rico described living with you as basically living in a Bass Pro Shop store that sits on 400 acres. Is that about right? Yeah. Is that that's an accurate description? Yeah, it's pretty accurate. <laughs> he, he's pretty much right on the money there. <laughs> <laughs> Was that by design from the outset that you sort of envisioned it that way? Um I mean, it, obviously, a lot of the influence was because of my friendship with Johnny Morris and because I love Bass Pro Shops so much. But, you know, the inside, I have a 1,500-gallon trout stream that, that is a copy of one of, the, one of them in uh, a Bass Pro Shop. And then I have a 5,600-gallon freshwater uh, aquarium, uh, and the Bass Pro people built, built that as well. So, uh, you know, a lot of it is... You know, when you live on 400 acres and you live on an eight and a half acre lake, I mean, it's nice to to have that outdoors feel. Eight and a half acres just with the lake. Wow. Mm-hmm. And what did you just say? 5,600 pound? 5,600 gallons. Gallon. It's about 40, pepper. I don't know, 40, you know, like 42,000 pounds of water in the tank. Wow. How, how do you do the maintenance for... I don't, acres. but there's yeah. a guy that, there's a guy, like the fish tank, there's a guy that comes in three days a week and feeds the fish and uh, does samples and does cleaning and this and that, and once a week he has to scuba dive the fish tank on, on Fridays, normally when I'm gone. I've seen him in the tank one time, it looked like Shamu the whale, so yeah, we, we I don't want to be around there when he's cleaning it, but he does a great job. He also works at the, the uh, Clarksville Bass Pro Shop down there and takes care of their tanks as well, so... Uh, you know, that's how we got hooked up with the guy, but it's, um, you know, I've got a guy that takes care of the house, you know, five days a week while I'm gone. And even when I'm there and, uh, have a guy that takes care of the, the 400 acres for us outside the house. And the lake is like fully stocked with. Oh yeah. That was actually a birthday present from Johnny Morris. Uh, one year when we, when we got our lake redone, uh, you know, for my birthday, he had fish sent up and stocked my lake. Nice. Nice. And I've seen this uh, on Twitter a couple of times. You tweeted photos. You, you have a bald eagle on the property right now? He doesn't live on the property, okay. but he spends a lot of time there. Um, the guy that takes care of my house actually thinks he knows where his nest is, and it's it's a couple miles away from our property, but spends a lot of time where our property is. And he, he does some fishing there. 
and just just he just showed up one day and you guys spotted him and he's it, just been around it's since. actually been we've actually had a couple that have been there and and this year they said they've seen multiple times where there's both of them at the same time on the property but it's just really cool i mean if you if you're into nature at all i mean you can there's not a day that you go to my house that if we drive around the property one lap around the property that you're not going to see deer you're not going to see wild turkeys um, you're going to see raccoons, squirrels, chipmunks, you name it. You're going to see a little bit of everything around there. Kind of goes without saying, Tony, but I saw that you just tweeted that you weren't going to see it for a couple of weeks, and you tweeted, I love this place, hashtag no place like home. Again, goes without saying, but it seems as if maybe more so than drivers who don't have 400-acre Bass Pro Shops that they live in, uh, this place is like truly like a sanctuary, a refuge for you. Maybe. Yeah, it is, and, yeah. you know, if you go up to Ryan Newman's house, it's very similar. I mean, he doesn't have the big fish tanks in it, but he's got a beautiful log home. He's got a beautiful lake right behind his house, and he lives on some beautiful land in, in Statesville. And, um, you know, we all have our places that we're into. It just depends on what you're into. And I, you know, I I grew up a city kid, and then, uh, you know, I got the chance to, to go out and see this piece of land. I mean, I just fell in love with it. So, uh, you know, we do, we have so much fun with it, with the deer management and, we're getting ready to start breeding deer on our property and, and the, the lake and all the fishing and everything. It's, uh, you know, then you, then the best part, you get to start buying heavy equipment like tractors and bulldozers and excavators and skid steers and all kinds of stuff to maintain your property. And there's, there's always a project that a heavy, a piece of heavy equipment needs to be used on. So there's always <laughs> something to do there. And that, I presume would be a lot of fun for you. Heavy equipment. I love it. I absolutely love it. I don't, I don't, we've, we, we actually had some projects where we had to rent some here recently. So, uh, I'm, I'm trying to find some partnerships to, uh, to get some heavy equipment loaned to us to where (laughs) when we have these projects, I have equipment to use, but, uh, it's fun. I mean, that's, you know, I, I get a lot of thinking done when I'm out working. I mean, there's a lot of projects that, you know, having a project on the property to work on gives you the outlet to get away from things. But at the same time, when you're in a piece of equipment by yourself, you can think of other things that are on your mind and gives you the time to sort it out and think of solutions to problems that you have. What's the best piece of heavy equipment for deep thinking or which, which do you just like mm. driving the most or does it, does I it don't matter? know. I don't have one. We've had to rent it, but, um, an excavator that, that, uh, has what they call a thumb on it. So you can use the bucket and you can use it to kind of pinch and you can pick up trees and huh. all kinds of stuff um the excavator excavator is probably the one i enjoy working with the most cool and you said you're breeding deer Get her, getting ready this uh this fall to start breeding our own deer so how many will you have on the property i well we're actually going to have to push out try to push as many of them off the property as we can in the fall here and uh that are already on the property and then once we get that done, then we'll we'll hunt this winter and hunt the rest of them off of it. And um, then we'll we'll actually this fall have 20 doe that that I've purchased and one buck that I've bought. And uh, we'll have them in breeder pens and be getting ready to start raising our own deer. Wow, cool. And in addition to all this, right now you have Rico and his what three guys on his yeah, and, and his girlfriend. Cooking? So yeah. <laughs> she that's a full house that's the great thing is having her there i mean if i need laundry done at the last minute his girlfriend's more than willing to help out she uh she's <laughs> she's kind of like the den mom she takes care of all the boys at the house there and keeps us all in line that's cool obviously rico is is a great story in of himself um but i'm sure any sprint car driver would love to have that kind of home base and that kind of assistance is that sort of do you see a little bit of what he's trying to do and what you maybe 
we're doing 20 years from now and where yeah. he came from? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, he's, you know, and it's not a deal where he's moved. But, I mean, he, he he wants to race a lot. And obviously, you know, running with NASCAR, he's going to be in the Midwest a lot. And there's a, the Midwest is a huge hotbed for open wheel sprint car racing. And, um, you know, for him to move his stuff from California during the summer and race there, um, you know, you got to have a place to go. But, you know, he, he's just a guy, he's just like me. He just wants to go race all the time. And, um, you know, so it's nice to be able to spend time with him and get to know him better. And, uh, you know, he's got a great group of crew guys and his girlfriend. They're a lot of fun. We have, there's no shortage of fun with us because <laughs> I can uh, tell from Periscope. Yeah. Yeah. Rico, <laughs> I thought Rico was going to blow up my Lamborghini to be perfectly honest <laughs> and possibly burn my house down in the process. But, um, you know, we, we, we definitely, uh, you know, we, we race hard, we play hard, we have a lot of fun together and care a lot about each other. Yeah, he said he didn't know you all that well before this past year, but yeah. you guys have kind of become kindred spirits. Oh, yeah, definitely. Know, in a way, that's cool. I want to go back two days before your Sonoma win when you said this. Driving a Sprint Cup car does not make me happy right now. A lot of things have changed. The atmosphere has changed. There's so much stuff in the garage area that's changed that it was time for me to make a change with it. Obviously, talking about your decision to retire after the end of the season. I know much of that change refers to the cars themselves, but does winning a race and all these top fives you've had lately make any difference? No, no, right it, no, it doesn't change it. I mean, I won a championship a couple of years ago, and that didn't change it. Yeah. Um, you know, I love what I do with a stock car, and I love what I do in, in NASCAR racing, but I think kind of Jeff Gordon kind of said it best this week, too. I mean, it's, it's, it's work. It's stress. There's mm-hmm. a lot of stress involved with it. It's a lot of work. If you're going to be at the top of this level, you're you're going to deal with a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, um, and a lot of hard work and dedication to it. Um, but there's been a lot of things that have changed, and that's that's why I said what I said at Sonoma. It wasn't, you know, what I said was exactly what I what you still mean. What now. I mean, yeah. Um, but I'm having fun in my last season. Yeah. But part of it is because I'm having fun because I know that once the season's over, I'm going a different direction and doing things that I want to do. So, um, get people, people have to remember for the last 20 years, I've been on a NASCAR schedule. I mean, you, everything you do revolves around NASCAR schedule and, um, I've loved it. I mean, I've, there's, if I had to go back and start over, I'd go do the same thing all over again. I mean, I, I wouldn't change a thing about it, but I'm at a, I'm at a point in my life where I'm ready to do something different. There's other things that I want to go back to doing that. There were things, there's unfinished business that I have with a lot of other categories in my life that I want to go back and finish things on. And, um, to do that, I gotta, I've got to step aside from the NASCAR side. So even though outwardly, obviously you are happier. I mean, we, we, we see, see, this is the main, the moral to the story to your question. Yes. You guys all read into it because I wasn't running well is why I wasn't. Yeah, exactly. Fun. Exactly. And that's not it. That's, yeah. That's, that's kind of what I'm base. getting at. Like, yeah. cause, well, because outwardly we see you when you're running well and you're, um, let's face it, you're more approachable. Like anybody would be. Sure. If, but if that's you're that way with yourself. anybody, that's, anybody yeah. that's racing. Anybody, yeah. you take any race car driver in any national series, and when they're running good, they're a lot more approachable. Right. But we're tolerable when we're, when we're in that stage. Yeah. I mean, but when you're not running well and you can't figure out, how to fix the problems nobody's nobody's happy nobody's approachable nobody's having fun when they're when when they're not running well right but this wasn't this decision to retire wasn't about running good or not running good it's i was ready to make a change right because fundamentally things have just changed in your life to the point where i mean life changes yeah everything in life changes whether it's whether your work environment changes your 
personal goals change, um, you know, at your age that things change. I mean, just, uh, you know, I never really thought about what day, what, what, what was going to be the day that I decided I would retire. It just, it was like the day came and I was like, this is, I'm ready. I'm ready to do something different now. And yeah. that's, you know, two weeks later we made an announcement about it. You kind of alluded to it and that you said there are a lot of things you have that you, you want to do a lot of uh, unfinished business. And you also said during that same Sonoma interview that, there are things in life I want to do other than be at a NASCAR track three days a week for 38 weekends out of 52 weeks a year. And I think you also said that, um, hang around with Ray Abraham, Don Perdome in January on that, that, uh, trip in Southern California that you, you, you heard them talking about things that, yeah. that what it was encouraging. Cause you know, you, you talk to Ray and you talk to Don, I mean, and it was fun cause I really didn't, don't know Don that well and, and, and still don't, but I know him a lot better now since January. Even. Um, <laughs> yes, but it's, you know, cause we're all kind of in the same boat. I mean, you know, you race hard and you race at that level and that, that competition, I mean, you thrive off of that, but you kind of get to a point to where, you know, it, it goes from being something productive to something that isn't productive anymore necessarily. And, uh, you know, it was kind of fun to talk to him. I, I guess I think Perdome's probably been the one guy that's probably put me at ease about retiring more than anybody. And he goes, he told me, he goes, it's, it'll probably be hard for a couple of years, but he goes, then when you finally come to terms with how it's all changing, you know, you, you're going to relax and you're going to, you're going to have fun. And mm-hmm. he goes, you're going to have, you're going to go to the track and you're still going to be competitive at the track with your teams, but it's going to, it's going to be the same, but it's going to be different. It's going to be a much more relaxed atmosphere. And, and, uh, you know, that's what I'm looking forward to. I mean, uh, I'm buying race cars that I'm going to start running next year, some here and there. And, you know, I got in Brickyard week on Thursday night before Brickyard started. I got inducted to the USAC Hall of Fame. Well, I had a go-kart event at Sarah Fisher's go-kart track there in, in Speedway uh, for all the SHR teams. But after the induction, I had, I had an alternate purpose for being at the track there. I had to pick up wheels for my one of my new race cars that I'm going to run. And then... But the hard part was they were getting ready to run their 100-lap feature, and I had to get out of there to go to the event. So I'm, like, scrambling to try to I, – I totally blew off local Indianapolis media because I was scared I was going to get trapped inside the track because once they close the gate, you can't get out right. until the race is over. And, uh, you know, I had to be at the event, plus I had to pick up wheels. So, uh, you know, I kind of blew them off to pick up wheels and go to the event and get out before they – I mean, they literally closed the gate right behind me. They held the gate for me. But, um, you know, that's stuff that's already fun. I mean, it's – it's the first time I've went to pick up wheels for my own race car for 20 years, probably. That's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, what else is on? Obviously, you're you're rerunning open wheel cars next year, sprint cars. So it, I'm going to go race a lot of different stuff. And, and yeah. the fun part is, I haven't even I haven't even thought about setting a schedule yet because it's the fun part is calls that I'm getting from people going, "Hey, I mean, I got a text from a guy um, two nights ago out in California that's." wanting to build a wing sprint car and says, Hey, when you're out here, we want you to come run it and this and that. And we were talking about details about what car he was building and what parts he was putting on it and this and that. And that's the stuff that's going to be fun is just not really, not really knowing exactly what all it's going to be, but just knowing that, you know, there's guys that still want us to go drive race cars like it was back in the day. And that's what we're going to go do. We'll go have fun. And most of the time I'll drive stuff that I own, but you know, there'll be times when I fly into places and carry a helmet bag into a racetrack and drive somebody else's race car and go have fun and then get back in the plane and fly back to a cup track and go have fun there. I read somewhere that, uh, someone had called with perhaps a potential offer for Le Mans 
next year? It's um, it's definitely a possibility. I mean, it's it's being talked about right now. Okay. So uh, the, that's that's the fun part. I mean, it just kind of tells you that the kind of the book's an open book right now. I mean, there's really, I mean, the categories of people that have called me to run this or that. It's been all across the board and stuff that I haven't been able to do for a long time. Right. Sports cars, open wheel. Yeah, everything. everything. You, you name it. I mean, pavement, dirt road courses it's it's just covered the the entire spectrum you mentioned uh that team outing you had um at sarah fisher's place in speedway and uh i i've been struck that it seems like maybe i just never paid attention before but the team building exercises that you seem to have uh this this season they seem to be happening quite frequently i remember there was a six flags trip i think in sonoma oh, we've always done that you guys we've always done that do for that years oh yeah it's <laughs> all right m- most people read too much into it i mean the thing you got to remember that and you know because you're a part of it every week too but it's a grueling schedule right and and people don't realize the time that you have to be at the racetrack and how late you're there before you leave to go home it's we're not there on vacation having fun all weekend i mean it's and for these crew guys it's it's brutal because they'll finish a race on sunday and there's times and weeks where you know they might get home at 11 o'clock at night and then they got to be back at the shop at 9 a.m on monday morning right to get something turned around or get a car finished that has to go to the track and leave on Wednesday. So, um, you know, it's just doing things like that where you can go and the guys can show up and they get to, you know, Sarah Fisher's got an awesome go-kart track there in Indiana. Her and her husband do a great job with it. And, um, they got a restaurant and bar and, and great food on top of that. And, uh, you know, for those guys to be able to show up on Thursday, once they get to Indy and they get to save their per diem, go have dinner, go, ride go-karts with each other and have fun that's stuff that kevin and kurt and myself and danica like to do for the guys and give them a chance to you know i know kevin got him a, a private screening of a movie that was coming out a week later that wasn't even out yet but the shr teams all got to go and see it right uh, a week ahead of time and that's things that we like to do as a team that isn't really so much for team building as much as it's hey these are people we care about yeah we, we understand i mean we get to go to practice, and when practice is over, we debrief, and we go back to our motor, our air-conditioned motorhomes. And for these guys, they're there at 7 o'clock in the morning, and they may not leave till 7 o'clock at night. So to be able to, to sit there and do things like this to say, hey, we, we appreciate it. We want to do this for you guys because we know how much you guys are pouring your hearts and souls into our race cars, and just a nice way to say thanks. Conscious, conscious effort to make sure that the motorhome doesn't get too disconnected from yeah, real life. Yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, on a rain delay, I'm not going to go hang out in the trailer with 12 guys that are soaking wet and stink. <laughs> so I'm going to go sit in my air-conditioned motorhome in the infield. And, but, you know, it's it's just one way to, to show that, you know, we all care about what they do. Is, you know, we're, we're thinking about them. And a lot of times I don't think – I think most of the teams and their drivers are pretty connected to each other like that. But it's um, – you know, anytime you get a chance to do something fun for them and let them have a good time that, that breaks up the monotony of the weekend, you want to do it. All right. I, did, I, I naturally thought like it might be a team building thing for like. See, you guys, see, you guys know, are way I, smarter than you, us. You, you guys no, analyze well, everything way much more than yeah, we do. I think there's We're a, just like, hey, you want to go ride go-karts tonight? Hey, by the way, they got food. You don't have to use your per diem to eat. Does it sound like fun? Okay, we'll be there. We'll be there at 8 o'clock. This is what it's we a, get paid to do, that man. Overanalyze everything. Yeah. Well, a first-year team, I'm thinking, like, new crew chief and Mike Bukharovich, like, maybe this is a way that you guys sort of establish chemistry. Now, but. he did that. He did that at the beginning of the year. There's a place in Charlotte that uh, 
and I can't tell you what the name of the place was right off the top of my head, but I mean, the, the basic moral of the story was it was a team building deal. And um, he took the entire pit crew and, and all the road guys and the guys that are in the shop that work on the 14 cars. And um, it's kind of a deal where they put you in a room and you have to problem solve to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, I thought yeah. it was I've really good. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. That was and that was something that was Mike's idea. I mean, he he had that idea to do that with his team and to get to know everybody. And uh, you know, I thought it was the perfect way to kick the season off. I mean, unfortunately, we <laughs> I remember that day we we finished that event. I went straight to the airport and flew to Las Vegas. And two days later, I was in a hospital. So he did his part. I didn't do my part. <laughs> you made up for it at Sonoma uh, and in other ways, I think. Uh, the, the relationship with Mike, I, I've heard you talk about crew chief relationships in the past that you've had, like like Zippy, like Darian, that um, in a short amount of time you knew immediately there was a bond there. Is that true this year, you think? Or? Yeah. I mean, and they all have different personalities. That's the fun thing. I've had, you know, I went for the first 10 years of my career with one crew chief with Greg Zipidelli and he's, he still is like a brother to me. I mean, he's our competition director at SHR and um, we're always going to be close. And then it went to Darian Grubb and I still think of Darian like a brother too. Um, you know, then Steve Addington and then uh, Chad Johnston and, and now Mike. And um, you know, there's, there's great things about all of them and there's strengths and weaknesses with every one of them. But, the, the fun part is to sit there and watch how, you know, when I, when I drive the car, I've got one approach to how I do it. And that's just how you, that's your style. That's how you do it. That's how you drive. That's how you race. But you work with, you know, five guys, different guys now and in 18 years. And it's interesting to see how they bring a different approach. Every one of them has a different approach than the last one did. And, I've never once in any of the meetings said, well, this is how we did it over here. Mm-hmm. This is how this guy did it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's everybody has to have their own way. So it's uh, it's been fun to kind of s- sit there and, and watch and, and uh, I don't know that I'm going to use the word analyze, but I guess soak, <laughs> soak it all in, I guess, of everything that they do and how they do it and how right. it differed from everybody else. And whether... And even if there's ways sometimes that I thought might be a better way, it's like, you know what, but this is this guy's way and we're going to, we're going to run it and see how it works. And, um, it's been fun to watch out and see how those results have worked out with how they manage the team, their crew guys and, and, uh, the results that we get on the racetrack. Because in some way, obviously it's a validation of them that like their way worked that you achieved the same results. But I would think it's also got to feel good for you that like you plucked, Mike Bugaravich out of his engineer role made him a crew chief and said, I think this guy has the stuff. See, to you're, the team. you're giving me way too much credit. <laughs> it's, it's another scenario where you guys are overthinking this. I mean, this was, you know, this was a scenario where, um, you know, kind of what happened with Chad's deal in all reality was a scenario where, you know, we, Chad and I are very close still to, and almost as close as Zippy and I are. And, um, you know, I, I felt like I was destroying Chad's career and maybe an opportunity for him to, hmm. to have a good opportunity down the road. And I just didn't feel like one more year with him going the way we were was I was scared I was going to ruin, destroy the guy's career, to be honest. And um, so that's kind of where it was at. I mean, I didn't know if I was the problem or if he was the problem or what, but I, I had more confidence that I was the problem versus him being the problem. Well, he thought the other way. He thought it was him and not me. And but, you know, obviously the opportunity he got with, with Larson is a great opportunity and they've done great together. So it's, 
it's just chemistry. I mean, it just proves how much the chemistry is important and, and how hard it is to get that. Um, but when you find it, you got to hang on to it and, mm-hmm. and protect it because it, it is that important. Going back uh, to next year again, um, obviously Jeff Gordon has been back as we tape this for two races. We know he's going to be back for two more. Are you keeping an eye on his comeback to kind of see how things go for him? Because I know you, you've kind of cracked the door open recently that, that if the need arose, you might Well, it only did that, that because you guys all asked me after he did it if I was going to do it. So, right. again, one of those overanalyzed things. Um, you know, I've said from day one, I mean, since Jeff did this, and then everybody started asking me about it. I mean, if the scenario happened, uh, you know, when one of our drivers got hurt and, and needed somebody next year, yeah, I would be available to do it. Do I want to do it six weeks in a row? Probably not. Yeah. I've got other stuff on my plate for next year. But for one or two weeks, if that's what we need to do for the team, absolutely. I'm, I'm 100% on board to do whatever's best for SHR. Um, have I been watching, you know, directly of how it's affected Jeff or this and that. No, I mean, it's, you know, Jeff's whole reason for doing this is for Hendrick Motorsports and for his buddy Dale Jr. And and I applaud him for that. And I would do the same thing. All of us would do that Mm -hmm. no matter when we choose to to retire. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, I I think realistically, if next year that scenario never comes up and it came up in 2018, I don't think I would be the right guy for the role then because you, you're out of the car for too long. And, you know, Jeff, you could take Jeff out of a car for 10 years and Jeff could get back in a car and do fine. And I probably could do it as well, but I just don't have the desire to do that. So right. would I do it for one or two weeks? Yeah. Would I would I uh, want to do it as long as Jeff's doing it? No. You know, there would be people who ask this, would you do it for the Daytona 500? I know you've been pretty firm on not nope. coming back. No. <laughs> Definitely not going to do it for the Daytona 500. <laughs> okay. You got to understand it. And, and it is the greatest race, uh, you know, for our circuit. And, uh, you know, and I've, I'm proud of the fact that we're the second winningest driver in the history of the facility. But, um, you know, Daytona and Talladega, I'm not going to miss those two tracks as a driver. Do I look, am I going to look forward to going there as a car owner next year? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to enjoy Speed Week next year and being able to go to the dirt races at night and being at the cup track during the day. But I just never, I never really, I liked restrictor plate racing more when it w- when you could still kind of be the factor of the decision-making part of the end of it. Now it's kind of, you, you have to be the guy that gets out on the point. And once you're that point car and the first guy, all you got to do is just block the daylights out of everything. And I mean, I, I'm not a big blocking fan and, and you do it cause you have to, but man, I, I just don't like it. I've never, and at Daytona and Talladega, you understand you have to do it there. I mean, there, you have no choice because the first car is not the fastest car at that point. It's the car that's pushing the most air and has the most air resistance against it. But you know, you have to do it there. But the stupid thing is now you're getting, you go to tracks now and, uh, you know, like Pocono last weekend, I mean, a buddy of mine, Casey Kane, almost ran me in the grass down the backstretch. And that's what happened to Clint Boyer last week at Indy. I mean, guys are blocking like crazy. And and I'm and it, it absolutely makes me furious because you listen to commentators saying, well, he's defending his position. Well, 10 years ago, none of this happened. Well, mm-hmm. I guess guys weren't defending their positions back then. <laughs> the way you defend your position is get off the corner and get down the straightaway faster than them. Right. Do your job and get off the corner. 
But if you break your momentum or you don't don't do a good enough job, just running a guy across the racetrack isn't isn't the way to do it. But is that a generational thing? The guys I, just race differently. Yeah. I think so because I mean I never heard of it before, and and I actually heard Jeff Burton, you know, commentate about it, and and, it, and it's just kind of the way racing's changed, I guess. But it's man, I mean, I know if I did that in '99 when I joined the Cup Series, if I'd have tried to run Dale Earnhardt down there like that, I'd have been the lone guy spinning through the infield wrecking right. for trying to block. I mean, it's um, it's just things have kind of changed, and that's one of the one of the many reasons that I'm like, you know what, it's just time for me to do something different. It's uh, you know, I don't I don't knock the guys for doing it because the problem is 75% of the field's doing it, and if you're in that 25% that's not, you're you're putting yourself at a disadvantage now. So, um, you know, they they got to do what they're comfortable doing. I'm just not I, – I don't really agree with it. and not. I do it occasionally because I feel like I have to because I don't want to be that 25% that's putting myself at a disadvantage. You can't, you can't give up that kind of stuff. But, um, I mean, you know, I, I watched Trevor Bain and Clint Boyer wreck the other day, and they didn't wreck hard. But, I mean, if it had been some of these other places we go to, they could have wrecked really hard doing that. Right. And – you know, the funny thing was Trevor Bain runs him down the racetrack running for 25th. Right. It's like, is that important? Right. <laughs> so, right. I, I, but going to Daytona, no. I mean, I, I, I mean, I've had fun there and I've won a lot of races there. And I, granted, I have not won the Daytona 500, but I don't feel like that keeps me from saying I had a successful career. Uh, question about another track that's iconic, Indianapolis. Uh, I was supposed to talk to you, by the way, for this, but you got busy the good news is you're going to get to do that yeah so this is going to kind of sound out of the blue but this was the question i had for you the day you did the big media day in indy um you own eldora you own all these other tracks multiple race teams pr agency you're a successful businessman if you ever had the chance to buy indianapolis motor speedway would you do it i can't ever see well first of all i don't ever see the indianapolis motor speedway being outside of the hallman george family um I just don't – I mean, it's like Pocono. I mean, it's it's never left the Mattioli family. I mean, it's – their grandson is taking it over and doing a great job with it. Um, man, I don't know. I've never even – You would do a great job with it would be my answer to that. <laughs> would be like you yeah, – I, I, I guess like I've never – the reason I don't even have an answer is because I've never even – even had a thought ever come into my mind about that because i because just mainly from the standpoint that i just don't ever see anybody other than the home and george family ever owning it but um and a i don't b i don't have enough money to ever pay for that facility um <laughs> i think somebody would write you a check for a loan or something i think yeah, you could make it work we probably could but i i don't know i mean that's i don't know that that's necessarily my cup of tea yeah what is your best moment at Indianapolis. I know that as a driver, mm. I, I would presume it's 2005, but is there a best moment or is it just as a fan or is that it? No, I would say that, I mean, there's a lot of great moments, but that definitely is the number one was winning that first brickyard. Um, and then winning the second one was the other one. And the third one was starting the, starting from the pole of my first Indy 596 and, and, um, you know, doing that for Scott Brayton in his spot. I mean, Scott are during the pole and, and then when we lost him in practice crash later that week, um, you know, I, I got moved up to the pole and, and being able to start that race for him. That was something that was a very emotional um, moment for me for many reasons. I mean, it was my first trip to Indianapolis. It was a place I'd always dreamed of, let alone, you know, now being responsible for starting 
the whole race from the pole. Um, you know, it was a lot of responsibility, but it was a great moment as well. But, um, you know, and then doing it for your teammate that you lost a week before that, that, that was an emotional moment. Um, I've got one more for you because Drew's waving me off. Well, Drew, that's what Drew does. I mean, Drew I waves a lot. He's good. I think Drew is just a friendly person. He just likes to wave at people. I mean, he's friendly. He's good at his job. I'm going to read you a quote uh, from an interview I did with you in 2010, myself and Jenna did with you in 2010, and ask you if things still work this way. This was 2010. You said that... Um, my mind doesn't stop. It's like a pecking order. The cup team is first, open wheel teams, the racetracks. It all has a pecking order of what gets at the attention first. There's days that something has to get bumped up. It starts here most days, NASCAR. And if everything is good, it goes to open wheel, Eldora, Paducah, Macon, Trucking Company. Is that pretty much still how you run your incredibly busy 100-mile-an-hour life? Yeah, Pretty much, yeah. And the good thing is, I mean, the more years that we have each entity, the easier it seems to be to have the support system around each one of them mm-hmm. to where you don't feel like you have to, you don't wake up in the morning going, man, I don't know what I've got to do today there. I hope everything's going to be okay there. It's, you know, I, I know that if I wanted to take off and be gone for a month, that everything that I have will can be self-sufficient and go on its own without me being a part of it. Um, but then there's those days that I get the phone call and they're like, we can't do anything till we get your approval or your input on this. And so, um, you know, that, that's the fun part about it. I mean, it's fun to, to have that many projects, but at the same time, it's uh, it's nice knowing that you don't have to be there every day to handle it. Appreciate you being here, as always. Appreciate I'm, your time. I'm glad to do it. This was fun. Our thanks again to Smoke for sitting down with us. I've always said that, despite his oft-misunderstood reputation as an alleged media antagonist, Tony Stewart is among the best interviews in NASCAR, if you get him in the right mood. Uh, he certainly was in that place for this discussion, bringing all of the self-effacing charm, occasionally biting wit, and intriguing wisdom that we've come to expect from him, along with some amusing anecdotes as well. So we appreciate him being here. Thanks as well to Drew Brown, the PR rep from True Speed Communications, whom you heard name check toward the end of that podcast. Drew isn't always waving us media off. He actually is among the more accommodating contacts in NASCAR. This podcast was months in the planning stages and requested and required a reschedulement, and I appreciate Drew for sticking with it. Uh, Belated thanks from our previous episode, by the way, to George Pace and Sean Owens. George and Sean helped ensure we had the audio of Mike Wells and the NBC Sports production truck. That really helped make that episode with Mike Wells, and I appreciate their yeoman's work in getting that done. We're also going to get Sean, who is a NASCAR savant of the First Order, along with being a very talented producer. We're going to get Sean on this podcast at some point. Uh, While on the topic of those toiling tirelessly and often thanklessly behind the scenes, thanks as always to the terrific Tess Quinlan for producing the NASCAR and NBC podcast. This episode and all of the rest, again, are available on Audioboom, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and a plethora of other smartphone apps. You also can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes for automatic downloads of new episodes. And also check out all those places as well for the NBC Sports podcasting lineup, Lots of other great podcasts being done by my colleagues. If you have ideas for guests, suggestions, questions uh, for this podcast, the NASCAR NBC podcast, please send me feedback on Twitter, at Nate Ryan. Always interested in hearing what people liked and what else they'd like to hear in the program. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. We appreciate you listening and hope you enjoyed it. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. 
I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner Plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.